150 years ago, when I was in high school, I was sitting in quadrant three of Pearland High School's cafeteria. We had quadrants. Our school was so big, uh, we just said a quadrant three. It was right next to quadrant four, Dale. <laughs> All right. Anyway, the, the, the point is, you know, I had a group of friends that we always enjoyed hanging around. And Mike, I don't want to say he was running. It was kind of like a gallop. He came galloping in. And Mike wasn't a galloper, okay? Uh, he didn't exercise much. But, man, he just came skipping in one day. And we could tell by the look on his face and his movement that he was excited. And my group of friends were hanging out. He comes up. Obviously, somebody says, Mike, why are you so excited? And he says, I got a job. Now, for me, at that time in my life, I didn't quite understand why you'd be excited about that. But he was. He was looking for a job. He was happy. We were all trying to be excited for him. We're smiling. We're engaging with Mike. Mike, way to go. This is awesome. Mike, where'd you get a job? So he tells us. And then another one of my friends looks at Mike and he says, which location? And Mike says, the one at Baybrook Mall. And we're all like doing the thing, right? We're smiling, we're excited. But I notice that the friend who said what location was no longer smiling. And I think to myself, hmm, there's something here. Let me just watch what's about to unfold. Because I didn't like drama but it's kind of interesting at that age, you know, like when drama unfolds in the cafeteria in quadrant three, ooh, like what's going on? And I was confused as I could be because this guy was a friend to Mike. He really loved Mike. So anyway, Mike's talking about this job that he got and everybody's smiling and excited except for this guy. And finally, it comes out that this guy had applied for the same job. And when Mike came in and announcing all of this great news that he got this job and we're all smiles on our faces going, oh, that's so great, Mike. Yeah, this guy didn't think it was great because it hit him a different way. Now, the reason that I share that with you this morning is because that's kind of what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're, we've been studying about this guy by the name of Peter. If, if you're here this morning, if you're worshiping with us online and you don't know who this guy named Peter is, he's a really important person in the New Testament. He's one of the apostles. And as we enter into the story in Acts chapter 4 today, Peter's had a great day. He, has, he was on the way to the prayer meeting. And he encounters this guy who needs ministry. And one of the important points that we've made over the past couple of weeks is that we always need to be ready to follow when God puts something in front of us. Peter was able to do that. He, he was on the way to the prayer meeting. He saw somebody that needed ministry. He stops to, to give them ministry. And this is one of the great stories of the New Testament. A miracle happens and this guy's able to walk. And so obviously when a miracle happens in public, a lot of people show up. Peter takes that opportunity and he steps right in front of them and he begins to preach this great message. And the day is just going perfectly and everybody's smiling, right? And the great news is being preached, except for there's some people there, like my friend, 
in quadrant three of Pearland High School's cafeteria, who when everybody else thought great news was being taught, he didn't think so. So in Acts chapter four, we're looking at what happens when the good news doesn't land with somebody as the good news. What should I expect when I am living my life whether it's at home or students for you at school or, or career folk, professionals at your job or stay-at-home folk there with your neighbors and your friends and your family. Listen, what happens when the good news doesn't land as the good news for people? Let's look at that in Acts chapter 4. And we're going to allow God to teach us some really important things today. And, and I think I'll say this a couple of times, but I want to say it now just because I think it's so important to say it at this point. What I hope is that we don't just learn some things this morning, but we process some things. Because what we're studying today is just like four verses, but it's so important for us to process these four verses. Not just understand them in the text but to process the implication on us in 2021 as people who love Jesus and seek to walk with him. I think this is an important passage for us today. Now it says, as they were speaking to the people, in verse one, as they were speaking to the people, this being Peter and John, the priests and the captain of the temple And the Sadducees came upon them. Some of your translations may say confronted them. And if you're new to the Christian faith and you're going, priests, captain of the temple, Sadducees, who are these people? Let me say it just like this. They're just religious leaders, okay? And you may be thinking, well, what's the difference of all of these people? What priests were priests? The captain temple was a guy who was like kind of in charge. The Sadducees, there was the Sadducees and there were the Pharisees. The Pharisees are not mentioned here, but the Sadducees are. You say, well, what's interesting about the Sadducees? Well, what's interesting about the Sadducees is that they didn't believe in an afterlife, which is one of the reasons they're so upset. What we'll see in just a moment, they didn't believe in in the afterlife. That's why they were Sad, you see. (sighs) Good morning, everyone. These are the characters who are there. Now, what you're about to discover is this. They are not celebrating what God has done through Peter and John and the rest of the apostles. In fact, you saw this just in verse 1. They didn't show up to celebrate. They didn't show up to learn. They showed up to confront the people who were serving God. So let's look at this again. So the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. Some of your translations will say confronted them. Greatly annoyed because they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them. And they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came that day to about 5,000. So if you have your note sheet this morning, you see that I'm trying to summarize for you what it means to live in the kingdom of God. What does it mean to live life according to the Spirit? It means I'm yielded to the Spirit, 
We learn that on the day of Pentecost. It means that I'm quick to repent all the way from Acts 1 to Acts 4. The word or the call to repentance is over and over and over. It means we're unified with the family. Uh, Richard preached about this where the family was together. They were focused on the word of God. They were focused on prayer. They were focused on breaking the bread together. They were truly one people. That's all good stuff. That's all encouraging things. Like, sign me up for that. I want to be a part of a community that's yielded to the Spirit, that is ready to repent, that's unified with family, that's ready to change the world. Peter and John were just going to a prayer meeting that day, and all of a sudden they changed the world for this guy. But here's what I want you to see. In man's eyes... As awesome as a day of ministry as they've had, it seems to come crashing down. Because of the priests, because of the captain of the temple, and because of the Sadducees. And so here's the point that I really want, not just for us to learn, not just for us to hear, but to really process this morning. Is that when the kingdom of God expands... Opposition intensifies. You know, I was talking with a brother here at the fellowship just two weeks ago, and then even last week we were discussing this very point, that as the kingdom of God expands in any one place, there is going to be opposition. And all of these other things that we've talked about, about living in the kingdom of God and about life in the spirit, they are so encouraging. Those are the ones that you just want to run circles around the worship center and it it excites you. Yes, we want to change the world. Yes, we want to be unified. Yes, we want to be yielded to the spirit. But who signs up to be opposed? Nobody. That's the unfun part of living life in the kingdom of God. And what I want to do this morning as we're seeking to process like what to expect in regular life as I live in the kingdom of God, as I live directed by the Spirit, and as you seek to do the same in your world, at your job or at your school or with your friends, in your home, on your block, what do we expect to happen to us? And so I want for us to process this. I think the best way to do it is just to notice that there are three I don't know how to say it other than to say layers. There are three layers of opposition that I want for us to notice. And I want for us to think, not just in terms of Peter and John and the apostles, but I want for us to just pause and say, what about us? Are we ready for that? And the first layer is just confrontation. It is Verbal confrontation. The ESV, the English Standard Version, says that while, while these people were preaching, while the message was happening, in verse 1, as they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. Some of your translations say confronted them. There was an abrupt moment where chaos ensued. I mean, try to think of this. Try to think one Sunday if Pastor Zach is up here giving the best points that I can find out of the word of God and you're tracking with me going, yeah, amen, yes, write that down. All of these notes and, and, and all of a sudden, 
Somebody stands up out of their chair and comes and stands right here and starts confronting what I'm teaching to you. How awkward would that be? How tense. I mean, I cringe just thinking about what I would do if that happened. It would be like quadrant three of Pearland High School when all of a sudden I realized, whoa, not everybody's happy for Mike here. Yeah, that's what happened that day. This incredible moment of ministry. This man had been healed. A crowd had gathered. Peter was delivering the goods. I mean, he was preaching the gospel. He was addressing them. You who killed the Lord Jesus, you didn't win. Jesus was resurrected. He is both Lord and Savior. I mean, Peter, he is preaching up a storm. And all of the sudden, and did you notice in verse 1, it says, while they were still speaking, How rude. (laughs) They just verbally confront these apostles. That's the first layer. Like if you were thinking, I don't know what I would do. I'm having a panic attack just thinking about it. You haven't seen anything yet. It gets worse. That's the first layer. The second layer is that they actually seize them. Now in the ESV... It says they arrested them. The word means they laid their hands up on them. That means that literally somebody walked up and not only verbally opposed them, but they grabbed them. Now, what would you be thinking if that happened to you? What would you be thinking if you were sharing Christ one day with someone? And then somebody walked up to you and not only tried to stop you from sharing, but literally put their hands on your collar and started to threaten you and tell you, you're not going to share this here. You're not going to do this here. I mean, it is a huge leap from just disagreeing with someone to having somebody's hands put on you. And that's a big deal, isn't it? I mean, we live in a society where you don't just walk around grabbing folks. I mean, that can put you in a lot of trouble. The problem was the people who were grabbing the apostles were the people in charge. Think about that. At school, at home, at work. Think about somebody being so opposed to the kingdom of God in your life that they would seize you, not just argue with you, But they would grab you. And the third layer of opposition is detainment. They not only grab them. Scripture says that they put them in custody. Scripture says that they arrested them and they put them in custody. And this awesome day that started out for Peter and John and the apostles where they were on the road to the prayer meeting, God intervenes, miracles happen, sermons are preached, people's lives are changed. That awesome day ended with them sleeping in jail. What to expect? Isn't this an encouraging sermon? (laughs) 
this is tough. I understand. But I love you enough to tell you that there are some people in your world. Okay, let's pivot away from the scripture and talk about your world. There are people in your world that will do anything to oppose the gospel expression in your life. That doesn't mean that we should hate them. And in fact, I would say to you, that doesn't even mean that we should think of them as an enemy. They're not the enemy. They're the mission field. They're the people that need to receive the gospel. They're the people who need to see the gospel flourish in your life. They're the people who, wherever you work, they need to see the kingdom of God flourishing in you. But let's be clear. When you share the great news, not everybody thinks that it is great news. And what's the deal with these people back in scripture, with the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees? What's their beef? Like, look in the scripture, and I want you to notice this word. It says in in Acts chapter 4, verse 2, they were greatly annoyed. Have you ever been annoyed before? I don't even know how to describe being annoyed other than it feels like somebody is just like God under my skin and everything that they do, my skin just crawls. I don't know exactly how to perfectly define annoyance. And I don't think that I have to because I think everybody here, whether you're in person or if you're online, you know exactly what I mean by annoyance. They were greatly annoyed. They did this. They confronted them verbally. They put their hands on them. They detained them because they were greatly annoyed. But at what? Here's what they were greatly annoyed at. Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, let's pause. Because if this resurrection from the dead, if this doctrine is so important that Peter thinks it's what we need to be preaching when you're out in the street and a miracle has been performed and everybody noticed it, so everybody shows up and everybody leans in to understand what's going on. And Peter's thinking, what do I tell them? Oh, I'm going to preach the resurrection from the dead. That must be a really important doctrine. I mean, of all the things that Peter could have picked to teach the people that day, he picked the resurrection from the dead. Not only that, but it got under the skin so much of these people that they literally went to arrest them. This must be an important doctrine. Like This must be a really powerful thought. If it's what Peter chose to preach about and teach the people... And it's something that these religious leaders were willing to arrest them over. What does it mean? Here's the doctrine of the resurrection from the dead. That death is real and painful. And it really throws us into serious and significant grief. But it isn't permanent. It's been conquered by the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection from the dead is the idea that because Jesus not only conquered sin on the cross, of which we will celebrate and remember in communion, not only did he conquer death, 
But when he walked out of the tomb, he conquered death. He not only conquered sin, he conquered death. And so then, the scripture teaches, because he conquered death, we too will conquer death. Not in our strength, but under the authority of Jesus Christ. If you're making notes this morning and you want to go read more about this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks a lot about this. Peter writes to the church at Thessalonica. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed about the people who are Christians who have died. And he goes on to talk to them about the resurrection from the dead and about what's going to happen and how it's going to happen and about how all of this is wrapped up in the victory of Jesus over the grave and over death. This is the resurrection from the dead. This is the very backbone of our hope. Death has been conquered. Doesn't mean that we don't grieve about death. It doesn't mean that death is an illusion. No, death is very real. And when we walk into the cemetery, it feels so victorious, doesn't it? But the gospel message, the resurrection from the dead means death doesn't win. Life does. That's what they were preaching. In Jesus, we have victory not only over sin, but over death. And that so annoyed these religious leaders that they verbally confronted them They put their hands on them and they put them in jail. Now you see in your notes that I want for us to ask some personal questions about ourselves. And again, remember I said, I don't just want you to learn something today. I don't want you to learn about simply Peter and John being thrown into jail for a night. I want us to process what that means for us in 2021. So the first question I want to ask you this morning, as it relates to me, as it relates to you, as it relates to us, do I realize, am I aware that this type of treatment still happens today? Now, I know here in Bristol County or maybe Plymouth County or wherever you live, like in this region of the world, this radical of treatment for people who follow Jesus is is almost unheard of. I can't tell you the last time I've had a preacher friend of mine that I personally know thrown in jail because they were preaching the gospel. And so it's easy for us to distance ourselves and go, oh, wow, that was something that happened so long ago. That must have been horrible. Please hear me. This is happening today. I was reading a report last week, two weeks ago. And it isn't here in this region. And in fact, it's not in uh, this country. But there's a country where the church is strong and it's growing. The kingdom of God is expanding. And because the kingdom of God is expanding, opposition is intensifying. And so the government made a rule that nowhere, not even on houses of worship, can you have religious icons. Can the Christian church have religious symbols? And so the government went to a church to remove the cross from the building. And they did that. And in the process, the pastor of that church opposed, verbalized that he was against this 
gesture and this action that they should be able to have the symbol of the cross. It is the symbol, I would argue, along with the empty tomb of what it means to be a Christian. Anyway, he opposed it. And currently, he is serving six years in prison because he opposed taking on the cross of their own church building. May I just say to you, we need to be aware that this type of treatment still happens and is happening today. Thanks be to God, not at the fellowship. But let's pause and think about that for a second. Maybe not all three layers are happening to us. But can you think of a friend that you have in your life or a coworker or a classmate that you know if I were to go to that person and share my faith or share my testimony, they would at least verbally confront what I'm trying to tell them. So it's not a matter of does it exist in our world, it's a matter of to what degree or to what layer. The point I'm trying to make for you today is if we look at the story of Peter and John and go how horrible it must have been in those days, we need to educate ourselves and understand that this type of persecution is as common today as it was then. That's the first question. The second question is, am I this serious about my relationship to Christ? You know, I look at Peter and I look at, 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 at John and I look at all the apostles and all the things that they were willing to go through, all the stuff, all the circumstances, all the actions that they were able and willing to endure just for the opportunity to share their faith. And I think to myself, am I this serious about Christ? You know, some of us struggle with this idea that my faith is a hobby. And, and, and faith as a hobby is not what Peter and John were doing on that day. You know, faith as a hobby says I'll worship when I don't have anything to do. I'll go to church when there's no other thing scheduled. I'll do my spiritual disciplines if, if I actually wake up on time. You know, faith as a hobby is practicing religion, but not as though it's the very heartbeat or the fabric of who you are. And we struggle with that in our society. Now, I'm not, I'm not accusing you of that, okay? But what I'm saying is, as a society, we do struggle with this notion of faith as a hobby. And, and what we see in these sim- four verses, simply four verses, what we see is a group of people who are incredibly serious about following and loving Jesus. And that forces me to ask the question, doesn't it? Am I this serious about Christ? Important question. The third question that I want us to ask this morning is for, am I prepared? Do I know how I want to respond to this treatment? And I guess just think for a second that it isn't Peter and John. Think, let's think for a second that it's you. 
Let's think for a second that you have this great day of ministry, that you're on your way to school or you're on your way to your job or, or you've just woke up for the day and whatever your regular pattern is, if you stay at home, like whatever that looks like, can you just imagine for a second that all of this sudden, miraculously, like you didn't plan this, but God just, boom, did something amazing in your life and reorganized your day and refocused your day and, and you do a miracle. Let me, let me back up. God does a miracle through you, okay? To be theologically correct. God does something amazing through you. And all of a sudden, your classmates or your coworkers or your neighbors, they all show up and they're looking and going, what's going on? And then you start teaching them about the Christian faith. And you talk to them about the importance of surrendering their life to Jesus and the power of God and, and all of these things. And, and everything is going miraculously amazing for you. And then somebody in authority shows up and begins to treat you this way. Let me just ask you this morning, how would you want to respond? In fact, I would encourage you, even in your notes, to answer that. I would want to respond and write that out. Like literally write down if you're at home, write this, Everett, let's all write this. What would I do? How would I want to respond if this happened to me? Next week, we're going to specifically look at their response. But today, we're just processing the idea that as the kingdom of God expands, so does opposition. That when we're delivering the great news, not everybody receives it as great news. And I kind of made the joke earlier, like what an encouraging message, right? I understand this is heavy. And I understand that for some of us, maybe people who are new in faith, maybe you're struggling going, wait a second. This is not what I signed up for. I don't want any part of this. I don't want persecution. I don't want any more difficulty in my life. And it already exists. Don't sign me up because I'm not interested in this. Maybe that's, you know, what you're struggling with. Or maybe you are a long time saint. You've been walking with God for a long time. Maybe this isn't just something that you're reading about in the book of Acts. Maybe this is something that you've been working through. Maybe in your business or at your job or with your friends. Maybe you've been experiencing one or more of these layers of opposition. And maybe, maybe you're kind of exhausted from it. Maybe it's weighing on you. Maybe it's chipping away at your ability to stay joyful. I realize this is a heavy topic. I realize that Acts chapter 4 verses 1, 2, and 3 are incredibly challenging for the believer. And I want to end with a positive thought. I want to end with encouragement right from the word of God. I want to share with you two reasons that we can rejoice and we can live with confidence. Now, listen, I know usually when you're making your notes and we're studying together and I make my last point and you write it down, you know what we do with our Bibles? We think we're done. Not today. Remember, we have communion. I don't think there's any better way to celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus than for us to remember 
the sacrifice of Peter and John. And think about that sermon and think about these three verses to prepare our hearts for the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus. But before we do that, I want to share with you some good words, some good thoughts. I want, to, I want you to be confident in this. Because it's true that not everybody will always celebrate our message. And when we're thinking about what do I expect as a Christian, not everybody's always going to receive us or be happy that we're there sharing our faith. But I do want to encourage you in two ways. The first is this. If you're making notes this morning, these are the last two blanks that we have. The first is this. Opposition always produces opportunity. So if you're looking for an opportunity to serve God, I want you to be assured of this. Opposition produces opportunity. What we'll discover in the next couple of weeks is that Peter and John and the apostles never stopped ministry. In fact, when they tried to stop them from preaching the truth of the cross... They were so unsuccessful. All they did was they took them and put them in another place where they then preached the same message. And so opposition didn't stop the message. It gave them the opportunity to deliver the same message in a different group of people. Think about that for a second. Opposition to the gospel produces opportunity to minister to others. So this, mor- this is what I'm saying. This morning, if you have a heart that beats to serve God, and whatever your life looks like on a regular week, Monday to Friday, Saturday and Sundays, if you live with a looking for an opportunity to serve God, you don't have to be afraid of opposition because opposition is going to serve up for you An opportunity to serve people in the name of Jesus. The second thing I want to say to you, and then we'll take some prayer time and prepare our hearts for communion. But the second thing, I want you to rejoice over, and I want it to cause you to live with confidence this week, is that opposition never, ever, ever eliminates the impact of the gospel. Now, I mentioned to you that verses 1, 2, and 3 were difficult to process and comprehend. But look at verse 4. In this crazy day that Peter was having where it started out so amazing, healing and preaching and all of these people listening to the gospel and then all this opposition And they're verbally trying to stop the sermon and they're grabbing them and putting their hands on them and arresting them and throwing them in jail and making them spend the night in jail. Look at verse 4. Thanks be to God. (laughs) In spite of all of their opposition, many who heard the word believed. Opposition cannot stop the spread of the gospel of Jesus. Many who heard the word believed. Do you believe? Do you believe the message that Peter was preaching, the resurrection from the dead? Do you believe that Jesus 
was crucified and died for our sin and not only conquered sin on the cross, but death walking out of that tomb. Do you believe that? I close with this. That word believe in our culture has been corrupted. Because we're a very educated society, we often think that that word means an intellectual acceptance of the existence of God. That is not what that word means. It means a believing so deeply that you surrender to this, that you put all of your faith in this. Believing in Jesus doesn't mean I agree that a guy by the name of Jesus was born and lived in Jerusalem and lived about 33 years and then was crucified on the cross. That's not belief. Belief is, oh Jesus, would you save me? Can I be your disciple? Can I follow you? Can you be the Lord of my life? That is belief. And in the fire of that persecution, many believed. Do you believe? Is this the day that you start believing? I hope that it is. There is no reason to put off placing your belief, your faith, and your trust in Jesus. It's the most eternally significant decision that you would ever make. And I mean that literally. Would you place your faith in Jesus today if you haven't? But whether you have or whether you haven't, I want to invite us all to bow, prepare our hearts for communion. And even as you bow uh, this morning, if you're new to the fellowship or new to church or new to faith, you may be wondering, what's all of this about? I I would just say to you that oftentimes the number one question that we get about communion is who is allowed or who should receive communion? And I would say to you, you don't have to be a member of this church. If you are a member of the church, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, whether you're a member of this church or another church, we invite you to receive communion today. And we'll do some instructions and talk about how to do it in just a moment. But before that, just bowed before the Lord. Would you just spend some time with God? Maybe today you don't have a sense that your fellowship with God is as meaningful or powerful as it should be. And you want to get that right with God before we take communion. Would you take this time now to do that? Would you examine your heart?
you make sure that it's aligned with the Lord? Pray with us, friends who are online. Draw near to God with us. Truly, Lord, hearing of the personal sacrifice of these apostles have put our thinking in the ballpark of sacrifice, of counting the cost of what it really means to be marked by you and to live for you in this world. And we understand that not everybody receives the good news as good news. And even as we now turn our thoughts towards the cross, we're confronted with the reality that the sacrifice of Peter and John that day pale in comparison to your sacrifice on the cross, your sinless life, taking the punishment that you didn't owe for the benefit of us today. So Lord, as we receive communion, we trust that it is a meaningful, powerful reflection of your sacrifice for us. May it honor you. May it bless us. May it enrich us. May it glorify you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're going to be participating with us, uh, these are our COVID communion cups. And there's two layers. One is a clear plastic cellophane that you hear right now for those who have done it before. So take that clear plastic cellophane and just kind of pull it back a little bit to take the wafer. If you're new to the Christian faith and you don't really know the significance of communion, we're going to read a scripture that talks about the Lord Jesus taking bread and giving thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. The, the powerful message of the wafer is that the bread was broken, which communicates that Jesus's body was broken for us. I'm reading out of the book of 1 Corinthians. And this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth to de- to describe and, and help teach about communion. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. If you would be careful as you take that second tab and pull that purple cellophane back just a bit. Just like the the bread communicates that Jesus voluntarily allowed his body to be broken for us. The juice originally, then it was wine. Today it's juice in your cup. But this reminds us that not only was his body broken, but his blood was shed. And so the scripture goes on to say, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us take. There are cups just under your chair if you want to take that and drop your trash in it. Today we have together in unity proclaimed the death of the Lord Jesus. And we will continue to do that until he comes. Would you pray with me? Father, today we have heard that living in the kingdom of God doesn't always produce what we would consider perhaps encouraging results. There are times that we do sacrifice because we follow you. May I say, Jesus, it is so worth it. And we close by praying for the people in our life who would oppose the gospel that we carry. For those, Lord, who even in the past week or month have verbally confronted us over our discipleship to you, to people who may have made fun of our belief or opposed our belief verbally. We pray for them right now, Jesus, and we, we refuse to see them as enemies. We love them, O oh Lord. We pray that you bring them into the kingdom and we pray that the very gospel that they mock would be the message that would turn them into our brothers and sisters. We pray for those who would do us violence because we follow you, O Jesus, who hate the gospel and and hate Christians. We pray for them. For those who, if, if they had legislative powers to outlaw our faith, that they would do it. We pray for them. We pray for our brother who is in jail right now because he opposed taking down the cross from the church in which he led. And we pray with an understanding that although that's not our reality here, because of wickedness, one day it could be. And so, oh Lord, our eyes are open. 
we understand the importance of these four verses. Now then, would you send us with the gospel of peace and hope and love, a powerful gospel. Send us into the world to transform the world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's been a good day in the house of the Lord. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? If you're a guest today, I want to acknowledge you. I want to welcome you. If you're the first time worshiping with us online, we want to welcome you as well. I want to invite you to come back. That's what I want to do. I want to say thanks for being here and invite you to come back. Crystal, my wife and I, we would love to meet you and connect with you. Uh, I trust that you are welcomed here today and that you feel loved. Perhaps there's some things that you don't understand and some things that you're confused about. That's okay. We are just glad that you're here today and we would love to answer questions for you if you have them. And we want to invite you to come back. If you're not a guest, if you're committed to the fellowship, with a smile on my face, I remind you to be faithful in your tithes and offerings. And, uh, you know, a lot of us give online, but if you don't want to give online, uh, you'll notice we've stopped passing the plate, but we do have them in the back. If you want to give that way, you certainly can. But if you're committed to this congregation, thank you for supporting it with uh, financial resources as well. And I do just want to close by saying, truly, let's go into the world with an attitude that God has sent us. We have purpose. You have purpose. And God wants to do something great in your life this week and through you. Let's be sent by God this week. If you're comfortable, would you place your hands out to receive the blessing? And then we will conclude. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so, oh God, we will go with peace even if we face any certain layer of opposition. We go with peace and we pray that we will take that opposition and exchange it for peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.